good? All right. I'm Dan Meyer, uh, one of the pastors here, pastor of spiritual transformation, uh, which is just kind of a fancy way of saying discipleship, you know, trying to help live out our purposes, uh, a vision for this community to make mature and mobilize fully devoted followers of Christ. We are in a in Nehemiah, we're still, we're still plugging away. We've got a, just a few more weeks uh, in Nehemiah going through this series, The Wall, as we build our wall and find out what the pieces are that we need to put in place in our lives, the things that we need to experience, the things that we need to do, the things we need to recognize in order to build a wall of our life, a wall of a ministry that reaches out to glorify God and to bless other people. As we're kind of going through uh, this book, th- this week we're in chapters 5 and 6, so if you want to go ahead and open up, then uh, we're going to be plugging through both of those chapters today. Um, as we go through Nehemiah, we've seen a number of different things. We've, we've seen uh, the, the children of Israel, in, uh, they've come back from, from exile, they're in, their, they're in their town of Jerusalem, they're in the, the city in the area of Judah, um, they're, they're be- they've become, you know, kind of a nation again in some senses. The temple has been restored. Uh, worship is in place. And as we go through all of these things, kind of seeing what God is doing in the children of Israel, we're asking this question. What happens when a person gives himself or herself completely to obeying God's call? What happens when the people of God align themselves to the call of God? And here in America, in, in, our, in our paradigm, in our understanding, it's going to mean something different than it did then, in some senses. It's going to mean something different than, than, say, on the other side of the world in Pakistan right now, where a lady named Asia, just recently over the last month, sharing her faith with Christ, in Christ with her coworkers, was brought before councils and the authorities and condemned for blasphemy, and sentenced to death, and thrown in prison. A little different experience, a a little different reaction, a little different kind of level and challenge to obedience than what we experience on a day-to-day basis. Here she is just simply stating very simple truths in conversation about religion. Well, what is it that you believe, Asia? I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. I believe that he is the only way for us to have relationship with God. I believe that that he loves me, and he loves you too. Well, Asia, I don't believe what you believe. So they throw her in prison. She leaves behind her husband and two daughters. What does it mean, what happens when a person gives himself or herself completely to obeying God's call? We're seeing pieces of that with Nehemiah. It means having your heart broken for the things that break God's heart. It means sharing words of life, letting tears flow. It means capturing the the vision that God has for your life and beginning to to step into place in that. And in chapter 5, we're going to see some of, we're going to continue the story of Nehemiah and, and see some of the things that God has called us and asked us to do, specifically to bring our lives into alignment with His. That we say, all right, we are the people of God. We are people that live for God's purposes. 
We are the conduit of God's love and his grace and his mercy. We are ambassadors of Christ. What does it mean for me to be in alignment with God? So in chapter 5, verse 1, we pick up with the story of Nehemiah. And, and it says, about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. What's happened, remember last week, Pastor Mark taught about opposition. There's this great opposition. And in the midst of this opposition with Sanballat and, and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and, and all of these things that are going on, they're building the wall and, and working with one hand while holding a sword or a spear, holding a weapon in the other hand. In the midst of this, all of a sudden, this great outcry arises. And what's happened is that the people for the last month and a half, for the last 40-something days, have been working on the wall. They have left their fields. They have answered the call of God. They've answered the vision of God. They've stepped into God's plan and begin building this wall. They've left their fields. And now for whatever reason, there's famine. Either as a direct result of them not working their fields or coincidentally. And all of a sudden they find themselves in this great place of we need. Now what's happened here is, is there's plenty of grain in the land. There's more than enough food to feed the people. Just like today in the 21st century, there's more than enough food in the world to feed every single person on the face of the earth. But 26,000 people a day die of starvation. 18,000 of those are kids. This is a reality. This is what they're, they're experiencing right here in these moments, in, in this time as this outcry arises because we're, we're hungry, Nehemiah. We need food. And so they've begun liquidating all of their assets, mortgaging their lands, mortgaging their houses, selling their vineyards, even to the point where they begin selling themselves into slavery. Some of them cry out, we've already had to sell some of our daughters. Our flesh and blood we've had to give into the service of other people. And Nehemiah responds to this and he's like, whoa, this is, this is heavy. This is economic repression. This is economic depression. They had to pay taxes to Persia. And all of a sudden they, they, they cry out and they just say, Nehemiah, we can't help ourselves. We cannot redeem this situation. There's nothing that we can do to fix this. Nehemiah, it's your problem. What are you going to do? You can imagine the pressure. Imagine what Nehemiah feels in this moment. The people coming in, him, what, God, what am I supposed to do? And this is how he responds in verse 6. When I heard their complaints, I was very angry. <laughs> Remember that Nehemiah's name means God is my comfort, right? God is my consolation. And sometimes consolation comes through the shoulder that you cry on. Sometimes consolation comes through the encouraging word or the soft-spoken word. The friend coming alongside of you and walking through life with you. But sometimes the consolation and the comfort comes through confrontation. And now all of a sudden, Nehemiah steps up and says, I am angry. But he's not angry at the people. He's not angry at the people that are complaining. He's not saying you shouldn't complain. In fact, he directs his anger at a specific group of people. He's not angry at the people. He's not angry at Persia. He's not angry at big government spending. <laughs> He's not angry because, you know, the government is just overriding them and just, and just pouring taxes on them and, and oppressing them. No. He's angry 
at the haves. He's angry at the people of God who possess resources but are not sharing them with the have-nots. He's angry with those who didn't understand that with those resources that they've been given comes responsibility. That with material possessions came the God-given duty to disperse those things, those resources, to extend the goodness of God to the needy and to be their advocate and to meet their basic needs of food and shelter and freedom. He's angry. We have nobles in our community. Look around, you probably know who some of those nobles are. Not nobles in this sense, the nobles who are exacting usury. Nobles who care for the community. People in our community that that God has given amazing resources financially. And they freely give into a fund called the Acts 2 fund. They go beyond their tithe. They go beyond just obedience of God's law. Here, God, here's 10%. And they say, God, I want to generously give an offering to care for those who are in need. This is, this is God's design. It's what we see in Acts chapter 2, and that's why we call it the Acts 2 fund. But we have nobles in our community that step up and meet this need. This is not what's happening with the children of Israel right now. God often gives resources to those who need help being generous to help them come closer to his heart and to give them an opportunity for a deeper relationship with him by serving those who are dependent upon God on a daily basis, literally as these people are crying out to God for their daily bread. But either way, God works it for good. Either way, God is calling out to all of his people, be in deeper relationship with me. The nobles that that Nehemiah is dealing with, they're charging interest. Basically, they're making loans and then they're exacting usury. They're they're making the, the children of Israel pay amazing and outrageous interest rates. And then not only that, when the the interest rates dry up and they realize there's nothing more that we can get from these people financially, then they begin to, in, in fact, put them in slavery. Nehemiah is angry not just at what they're doing. He's, he's angry because these people have given an opportunity for the surrounding nations to look at the children of Israel that are meant to be a beacon, that are meant to be a a shining bright light of the glory of God. And these people, the children of Israel, have have given opportunity for people to blaspheme God. Oh, your God's weak. (laughs) You're a nation of slaves. You're a nation that is devouring itself. You're consuming each other. Your nobles crawl over the backs of your needy to line their own pockets. This is the story of God's people. This is what's happening right now, and Nehemiah is angry. But he isn't angry just out of pure emotion. It isn't just one of those things, he's getting ready to fly off the handle and just whip some noble booty. No, he is like, no, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to contemplate this. I'm going to process this. So in verse 7, he says, after thinking it over, I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. At the meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. So what's happening is they're selling him into slavery, and Nehemiah has, has, has 
kind of organize this band of brothers, these people that have resources, and they keep going and buying their people out of slavery. He's doing this out of his own pocket, out of his own resources, out of the only own, his own blessing that God has given him. And he pressed them further. Verse 9, what, are you do, what you're doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain. Now let us stop this business of charging interest. Alignment with God means that you know God's truth and you use it. Alignment with God means that you have knowledge of His truth and you let it change the way that you think and the way that you act. Nehemiah let that happen. He said, I'm going to be aligned with God. I'm going to be aligned with God's purposes. And he cries out to the nobles and he says, here's the main reason why this is wrong. You're giving people an opportunity to blaspheme God by your lifestyle. Alignment with God means being concerned about God's glory. This is the story of many men and women in the Bible. Many men and women of the Bible had their hearts hinged on this truth. Remember Moses. Moses goes up on the mountain and he communes with God. He has deep fellowship with God. He gets the law and he comes down and what's happening? The people are all partying. They've made their own God, a golden calf. They're worshiping and having revelry to an idol. God gets angry. God goes, Moses goes back up on the, on the mountain and God says, you know what, hey Moses, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to hit the reset button on my people. Um, no more Father Abraham. Father Abraham is not going to have many sons. You know, it's going to be Father Moses. Are you ready? This is what we're going to do, Moses. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. But Moses' heart was hinged on the truth that he needed to be an advocate for God's glory. And he says, no, God, far be it from you. God, no, for your name's sake, for your glory, God, you will not go back on your word. God, you will be faithful to this people. I know who you are, God. Please forgive. Please pour out your grace, pour out your mercy. And God says, yeah, you're right, Moses. Right on, man. You've aligned yourself to me. Your heart is pure. Your heart is true. You are a good leader. You are a leader worthy of following example. David if you read through the Psalms, David, this man after God's own heart, David cries out so many times, God, defeat my enemies for your glory. God, I am interested in, in your name, for your namesake. You are the great God. God, let me not be defeated. Let me not be, you know, made a mockery of. Let me not lose these battles. And God answered those prayers. And David's heart was broken its deepest. He experienced his deepest place of repentance in this exact area where he provided opportunity for the surrounding nations to blaspheme the name of God. Remember the story. He's up on the rooftop. He sees a bathing woman, Bathsheba. And he calls for her. And he commits adultery with her. He tries to cover it up. He can't cover it up, so he ends up killing her husband. And the child that is conceived ends up dying. 
And he marries her, all in this huge cover-up, to keep people from knowing what a scumbag he was. And it is in this moment where the prophet Nathan confronts him with the truth of God and says, Hey, Dave, you are wrong, man. You have, have crossed the line. You have given the surrounding nations opportunity to blaspheme the name of God. And if you want to see true repentance, if you want to see true brokenness and alignment with, realignment with the heart of God, read Psalm 51. It's amazing. Alignment with God means being repentant. And so in this place, Nehemiah steps up and he calls to the people, to the nobles, to the rulers and says, you need to live up to your name. You need to be noble. You need to restore and repay and recommit. You need to restore their livelihood. You have stolen the very livelihood of this people. You need to give them back their lands. You need to give them back their vineyards. You need to give them back their homes. You need to repay. You need to repay that which was taken as interest. Anything that you've charged them above what you've lent them, you need to give back to them. And you need to recommit yourself to follow God's vision. This is what he tells them. And so they repent. They say, yes, this is what we're going to do. He calls in the priests. They have a worship time. They have church right there in the midst of this great repentance. And they commit themselves to God. And then in verse 13, Nehemiah says, all right, this is what I'm going to do. He says, I, I shook out the folds of my robe. And I said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your property. The whole assembly responded, Amen. And they praised the Lord. And the people did as they promised. Back then, Nehemiah, you know, he was, he, he was in his toga or whatever, you know, his, his robe. And as you walked around in your robe, it had all these folds. And you'd get, you know, dust and lint and things all caught in the, in the fold of, of, your, of your fabric, in the fold of your robe. And so he goes before them. And, he, and you know, in our, in our 21st century, you know, it's kind of like reaching in your pocket. You know, you get that pocket lint. You know, just kind of reach in there and just going, may God do that to you. May God shake you out. You're, you're nothing but pocket lint if you don't obey God, if you don't follow God, if you, if you don't keep this vow to restore and to repay and to recommit yourself to God's vision, may he empty you, may he shake you out, and may you be removed from your homes. May your blessings, may your resources be taken away. Alignment with God means being repentance. And this true repentance brings true change. It's going to take sacrifice to follow God. Nehemiah here, he can speak to this place of, of, of reform because he is living his life as an example. He's not just the leader. He's not just the ruler. He's not just, hey, this is what, this is what you should do. He's not a hypocrite that, that he says, do as I say and not as I do. No, he, he lives his life boldly before them, living out a life of sacrifice. You're going to see a little bit of that in the next several verses. It will take sacrifice to follow and fulfill God's ordained vision. Alignment with God requires sacrifice. For every single one of us in this room, in order to take the next step, in our relationship with God, in order to, to build a wall of our life that, that glorifies God, in order to, to create a ministry 
that follows and, and builds up people in the love of God, it's going to require sacrifice. To be the spouse that God has called you to be, to bring healing and joy into the life of your mate, it's going to require sacrifice. To elevate the value of marriage in a society that thinks it's laughable, that it's nothing but a reproach, it's going to take sacrifice. To be the father that will bring godly leadership into your home and reverberate healing into the epidemic of fatherless in our country is going to require sacrifice. It's going to require sacrifice to train your children in godliness. It will require sacrifice to, to weigh out the things that you need to accomplish and the things that you do. And, and, and it may be a sacrifice where you say, you know what? I need to train my children in godliness before I provide for their college fund. I need to educate my children and, and take responsibility for them before I provide for someone else to fill their head with knowledge that is other than God's. It will take sacrifice to be a diligent employee who doesn't rob your company of productivity or supplies. It will take sacrifice to be the right person that you're looking for to marry. It will take sacrifice to be the community that God has called us to be so that we can shine the light of the gospel to our city and to our world and to bring change. It will take sacrifice. True sacrifice comes through revelation. You remember last week in this opposition, the, the opposition is so heated, it's so heavy because Sanballat and Tobiah and, 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 the, and Geshem the, the Arab, um, they, they have everything to lose. They have the most to lose because their identity and their purpose and their worth is wrapped up in their power and their position. But true sacrifice comes with revelation. The revelation, as Nehemiah experienced, that I can give everything because I have nothing left to lose. You know he experienced this right there when he was in the middle of Persia, when he's in the capital city of Persia, he's in Susa, the citadel, when he hears the word from his brethren, hey, the Jews, they are in reproach. They are in turmoil. They are, it, the, it's a basket case, man. They are a wreck. And his heart is broken. And he cries out to God and says, God, please let me be used by you. And for four months of prayer and fasting and dependency upon God, he cries out and God says, he says, God, I have nothing left to, left to lose. I will even lose my life. I'm so much in agony, I can't even hide it. Remember, he was a cupbearer. By showing disdain, by, by showing emotion in the king's court, he could be just taken out back and have his head chopped off like a chicken. God, give me favor. But God, I have nothing left to, left to lose. I will even, I'll go that distance. God, I'll share the truth of what you're doing in my heart if you give me an opportunity. True sacrifice comes through revelation. Revelation comes through God's calling and through obedience. Seeing and hearing what God has, has put in front of you and, and what he has called his people to do, and then doing it, being obedient. You can very just simply put this by, by saying, to know God's will, to find out the will of God that you don't know, do the will of God that you do know. Find out what God's word says. Open it up. Experience the revelation Read it. What is God's will? God, let me begin to order my life and align my life to these things. True obedience 
is a product of love. As Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Obedience is the first step in, in, in identifying the call of God, responding to it, to take those steps to align yourself with God. And then you will experience the revelation that will lead you to the realization that everything that you have is a gift from God. He is the author and the perfecter. He's the giver of all good gifts. Now, Nehemiah recognizes this. He's walking in this. He understands that obedience leads to blessing. And so he is the one who, who can lead these reforms. Nehemiah has what's called moral authority. Moral authority. It's the same thing that Mother Teresa had. She lived her life in such a way on a day-to-day basis, sacrificially giving and serving, that no one could refute her truth. No one could stand and say a word against her because she had so much moral authority. She wasn't a world leader. She was a world changer because she had this moral authority. It's the same thing for Nehemiah. You know, here in, in verse 14, we get like this little insight of what, is, what, is, what Nehemiah has done and has been given to, to create this moral authority. And we see an insight again into this ama- the amazing humility of this guy. Verse 14, it says, For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of the, king, of the, reign, the reign of King Artaxerxes, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. The former governors, in contrast, had laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides 40 pieces of silver. Even their assistants took advantage of the people, but because I feared God, I did not act this way. If you read through the rest of that chapter, you see a continual list of the things that Nehemiah blessed the people with. Nehemiah was a man who aligned his life to God and sacrificed. Simply put, he laid down his rights. He persevered to fulfill God's vision, and he spent himself and his resources for God's glory. Nehemiah earned the right to speak these truths, these hard truths. You need to restore, and you need to repay, and you need to recommit, because he lived his life as an example. He said, do as I do, not just as I say, but I'm going to say it too. And he didn't do it for an earthly reward. He did it because he wanted God's approval above everything else. Look at the very last verse of chapter 5, verse 19. He says, Remember, O my God, all that I have done for these people, and bless me for it. A literal translation is this. Think upon me, my God, for good. Think good thoughts about me, my God. About 107 years before this, a man named Jeremiah walked the earth and wrote down amazing truths from God. For 40 years, Jeremiah walked the earth, the weeping prophet, and no one ever listened. No one converted. He had a horrible ministry. He wanted to quit multiple times. He said, God, this stinks. There is nothing good about this except you. Help me. And God made him persevere and endure for 40 years. But 170 years later, I'm convinced that Nehemiah heard the, the words of Jeremiah and held on to them for dear life. 
He knew the words in, in chapter 29 of, of Jeremiah where God cries out through his prophet and says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts that are good, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And if you seek me, you will find me. If you pray, I will listen to you. Nehemiah knew these words. He held on to these words for dear life, and he, in some sense, uses the very same expression, think upon me, my God, for good, relying upon the favor of God. Alignment with God means desiring and rejoicing in God's favor. Nehemiah set a pattern. In the second chapter, he, he, he cries out and he, and he shows the people God's favor and he's rejoicing and saying, look what God is doing for us. And we're going to see at the end, his closing words are the same exact thing at the end of chapter 13 in a few weeks. He rejoices in the goodness of God. Now, up to this point in the story of Nehemiah, all of the opposition has come from the outside. Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, Geshem, the, Geshem the Arab. They're, they're, they're living out in this oppression. And, and then now we have the, the Jews, the nobles, you know, who, who have stirred up oppression and opposition from the inside. And now Nehemiah's got this resolved again. But like a dog that won't give up its bone, Sanballat just continues trying to come back and fight against Nehemiah. And so in chapter 6, we're going to run through several verses here. Verse 1, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet with them at one of the villages in the plain of Oh No. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. Sometimes God is just really obvious, you know? So I replied by sending them this message. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Nehemiah has tunnel vision. Nehemiah has wall vision. Here I am. I am focused on what God has called me to do. I'm not going to play with you out in the, in the, in the plain of oh no. I'm not going to be distracted by, by the work that, you call, that God has called me to do. And four times they send him the same message. And four times he responds in exactly the same way. So they change their tactics. And over the next several verses, they begin making up lies. Oh, did you hear Nehemiah? He really wants to be king. Nehemiah, he's the governor, but really he's rooting for being a king. That's why he's building up these walls. That's why he, he's trying to build himself an empire. He's going he's gonna to revolt against Persia. Nehemiah hears their, their jabber, and he just simply says in verse 8, there's no truth in any part of your story. You're making up the whole thing. Another translation says, you just made up these things in your heart. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. That last sentence there in another translation is actually offered up as a prayer where Nehemiah says, Now therefore, strengthen my hand, O God. I am not going to be distracted. I'm going to give the same response. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to argue with you and, and battle over my reputation. I don't need to prove to you how righteous I am. My righteousness is found in God alone. 
So on October 22nd, the wall was finished, just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard it, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized this work had been done with the help of our God. Alignment with God means staying the course. It means facing the challenges. It means when, when the vision that God has given you is challenged, when the plan needs to change, when, some, when opposition comes in, that you stand the test of time and you say, God, where are you going to lead? What are you going to do? How are you going to use me? What is your will? And it may very well challenge your livelihood. It will definitely challenge your faith. But alignment with God means staying the course, trusting God for His provision, and knowing that He is always with us, that He is for us, that we are His people, that we are in the palm of His hand, that we can trust Him. And in humility saying, God, You are all we need. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for this amazing man, Nehemiah, who, who teaches us so many ways just to be aligned with You. Lord, you're, you are faithful. Your story is true. And I pray this morning that, that we can take at least one of these things to just draw wisdom and truth from and to implement into our lives as we, as we build a wall for your glory. Lord, that you would show us how to desire and rejoice in your favor, that you, that you would show us how to sacrifice, that you would show us how to be concerned about your glory. Lord, that you would teach us what it means to be repentant. Lord, we ask that you would have your way, and Lord, that you would stir up a deep passion in our hearts to answer the question of what it would mean if we give ourselves individually, completely over to obeying your call. Lord, you are our God. Hear our cries. Convict our hearts. Encourage us, Lord, and give us boldness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.